It's a lovely Tuesday afternoon. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Pulse here on Joy News. Coming up in today's edition, 35 trade unions, including NAT, NAGRAT, Ghana Medical Association, and the TUC up in arms against government over the imposition of value-added tax on some categories of power consumers. And we don't think it is right. And as organized labor, we have gathered here this morning to express our views on it. Also coming up, controversial South African politician Julius Malema attributes Ghana's and Africa's developmental challenges to a departure from Dr. Kwame Nkrumah's values and excessive focus on privatizing key state assets. Well, uh, if you drift away from Nkrumah's principles of um, state-led development, strategic sectors of the economy, you will never address the issue of unemployment. And we'll take you live to the venue where he is about to deliver a lecture this afternoon. Also, Ghana Water Company Limited blames recent water shortage in Accra and the central region on choke pipelines from debris of the Kosovo Dam spillage. Leak from the Kosovo Dam. A lot of debris and sludge and aquatic weeds were washed from upstream to downstream, and our intake point is on this downstream Kosovo Dam. And if you don't have water, I will tell you what the company is doing to ensure your tap flows. These and more here on The Pulse. My name is Elton Brobe. It's a pleasure to be with you this afternoon. The Pulse is brought to you by Global Communities, Digilu, affordable, safe sanitation for all. We are live on DSTV Channel 421 and GoTV125. Follow us on Facebook, YouTube, and MyJoyOnline.com for these and more. Let's start for the details, and we are starting off from the labor unions. And this afternoon, the trade union congress says it is it remains hopeful that government's planned imposition of 15% of value-added tax on power consumers above lifeline level will not see the light of day. The umbrella body of all labor unions in Ghana are holding an emergency meeting to discuss the way forward on getting government to reverse its decision. Speaking to joiners, Brother Suga, ahead of today's engagement. Secretary General of the TUC, Dr. Yaba, lamented the country's workforce is already overburdened with taxes, hence the need for government to consider his decision. He's been addressing the media. The Minister for Finance sent a certain letter to the two distributors of electricity, Medco and ECG. And we don't think it is right. And as organized labor, we have gathered here this morning to express our views on it. So I'll go straight to the written text on behalf of the leadership of organized labor. Uh, organized labor press statement on the imposition of value-added tax on residential customers of electricity. And I want to emphasize this one, they isolated only residential customers. We have cited a circular from the Ministry of Finance signed by the Minister for Finance, Ken Ufuriata, dated 12 December 2023. 
The letter is directing the two main electricity distribution companies, i.e. ECG and NETCO, to start the implementation, and I quote, to start the implementation of VAT for residential customers of electricity above the maximum consumption of levels specified for block charges for lifeline units in line with section 35 and 37 and the first schedule 9 of value added tax act 2013 2013 act a70 effective 1st january 2024 according to the minister for finance this measure is part of government's medium-term revenue strategy and the IMF-supported post-COVID-19 program for economic growth. The implications for residential customers of ECG and NEDCO are the following. First, the cost of electricity will go up by a minimum of 15%. And then, all residential customers who consume above the lifeline of 30 kilowatts hour will pay the 15% VAT. It is worth noting that 30 kilowatts hour of electricity allows the lifeline customers to use only three lead bulbs, one, one electric iron, one television, and one fan. When I was uh, at Ghana registered nurses and midwives uh, uh, swearing in. The information I had was that it's two bulbs. So I let it out there. Then I did more, and then they said it's three lead bulbs. I said, that's not different. How, how can you say that? You know, and I want to emphasize that this 30 kilowatt hour thing, lifeline. It was 50 since the early 90s. Yes, yes. Then in 2022, PURC changed it from 50 to 30. They did it quietly at the back door. Nobody knew it. It was when this letter came there, we were doing the investigation, we found that it was 30, not 50. In fact, the first calculations we made was based on 50 until we found out it was 30. What this means, comments, is that a residential customer who uses more than three bulbs and a refrigerator will pay the VAT. The lifeline does not include VAT. Uh, sorry, doesn't include fridge. As workers, we put our things in the fridge so that when we go late, there is something for you. But this is denying us that. So for me, working for you, going in the traffic for two, three hours, getting home, and I want my thing to be refrigerated, and I have to pay VAT on it. We note that since 2022, electricity tariffs have gone up by 73%. So in 2021, if you were paying 100 Ghana cities, 
Now, that same customer is paying 173 Ghana It is also important and very, very sad, comrades, very, very sad to note that why government is imposing VAT on us, residential customers of electricity. Plans are far advanced to remove VAT on mineral exploration in Ghana for wealthy multinational mining companies. And the media reports that we have read indicate that the Minister for Lands and Natural Resources, in a meeting with Ghana Chamber of Mines, assured them, Abu Jinapo, assured them that uh, that policy will be implemented in the first quarter of 2024. What, what kind of life is that? What, what kind of. <laughs> you know, you will impose, you impose tariffs on poor consumers of electricity and then the wealthy multinationals you are going to remove it and he met them and assured them that by the end of this quarter they are going to remove VAT from exploration for these rich companies and he said what kind of country are we living in? Normally in situations like what we have in Ghana today when our economy is misbehaving and so on. What, what happens normally is that our mineral resources, because those of you who have studied economics, minerals, gold and the rest, they are anticyclical. So if you have checked, when economies go down, people invest in gold. So if you have gold and there is a problem and your economy is going down, use the gold to profit that's why they were trying this uh, oil for good, whatever they are calling it. In a situation like this, that's what we expect. When there are shocks, both internal and external, you use your mineral resources, because this is God-given. You use it to deal with the shocks, to cushion your economy from this external and internal shock. But in Ghana, sadly, that is not the case. It's, it's always the poor people in this country, including pensioners, who bear the brand. And we should not allow that to continue. We should not. So today, organized labor, we have come together again. And our message to government is very simple. We cannot pay VAT on electricity. Period. We will not... We cannot pay VAT on electricity. We will not pay The General Secretary of the Ghana National Registered Nurses and Midwives Association and the Ghana National Association of Teachers have also been speaking at the news conference. Um, this came as a big surprise to us all to think of the fact that our usage of electricity in our homes was going to be taxed 
was a big thing because you and I know salaries in Ghana, not only in Ghana, in the sub-region and most of Africa, is not the best. We are living from hand to mouth. You can't really save for much if you don't have alternative way of generating income. And it's just your salary. So to think that what you, the energy you have to use in your home also needs to be taxed. And think of the fact that mining companies, multi-billion companies, that have all the money to pay taxes, the thought is to waive VAT for them, then it leaves much to be desired. What we expect is that we should be left alone to enjoy the little electricity that we have. And if there is any taxes, it's those multi-million companies that should be taxed to provide revenue for the economy. And medium to long-term goals for generation of income or revenue for the country. I think we've been there before when we were discussing the DDEP. As organized labor, we made strong suggestions and called on government to take it up. I have not seen that even one of those suggestions have been taken. And to think that we are going to be burdened with more taxes, it is not the best. We are being burdened with taxes and it doesn't even allow people to be able to what? Flourish. Flourish. To be able to nurture their families in terms of their children's education, their health and all of that. So the decision we have taken here, I think is unanimous. It's unanimous. And we are saying no to this VAT on residential usage of electricity. And come by the deadline, before the deadline, we expect that a letter should be out there to annul the earlier one. And then we shall all be at peace. I think um, that is the only way to go. And that is my word for you all. Given the time, uh, the times that we are in, uh, any increment or any uh, thing like this, by I mean the VAT aspect that we're talking about, we're certainly going to push more people below below the the poverty line. And we all know, if you ask the security people, they will tell you that when they are discussing security issues, issues of poverty is one of the key components or variables when you are talking about national security anywhere. Uh, so to push people below the poverty line is a recipe for disaster. Okay, And you'll be inviting more chaos and anarchy. And I don't want to believe that that is what they are expecting from the people of this country. So once we have said no, let it be no. If they have anything to say, they should come to the table, put it on the table. We are reasonable people who have a look at it. But for now, it is no, no, no. And it's still no. So away from this, the electricity company of Ghana says it is yet to commence the implementation of the value-added tax on NMA consumers. The company says it will need further clarification from the Ghana Revenue Authority on how to proceed with its implementation of the levy. 
Leila Bubakar is a standard communications manager for the ECG. So the value-added tax announcement that came uh, into effect in January has appalled a lot of our customers. The truth of the matter is that we haven't started implementing it, even though that letter says that it should have been activated in January. The reason being we still have to understand how to implement this tax. So we are having uh, active conversations with the Ministry of Finance, with the Ghana Revenue Authority, and with other stakeholders who have also brought their concerns forward. So for now, there's no value-added tax, as announced, included in residential tariff or residential customers buying electricity. For now, it's still the old status quo. We've maintained an active engagement with our stakeholders, who mostly comprise of the power generators, to have them on the same page with us in terms of payments. I think since last year, our revenue generation has um, increased, and we found a way of uh, ring fencing or having an agreement with the IPPs to hold on to the legacy debts that we owe them. But we are very up to date with the current bills that come to our desk. We try as much as possible to pay off those debts so that they can also function as um, business. So let's explore this issue and exactly the trade union groups are willing to do or willing to enforce on government ahead of the expiration of the timelines that they've provided today at the news conference. Joanna Zvarazum is the General Secretary of the Ghana National Association of Features, Thomas Musa. Mr. Musa, you're welcome to the report here on Joy News. Thank you very much. Good afternoon to yourself and all your listeners. And Great. Also, belated Happy New Year. Same to you. Same to you. And let, let's get down to the business of the day. 35 labor unions united under one umbrella to force government to withdraw the decision to impose 15 VATs on electricity. How willing or how far are you willing to go to ensure that your demands are met? Thank you very much. Uh, we are not using force. We are only being reasonable. Mm. That is all. Uh, when reasonable people meet, they do reasonable things. So we are only asking for what any reasonable human being will ask. Mm. That is all. Because we are dealing with our beloved country called Ghana. And as we speak now, many people are below the poverty line. Aside that one, if you recall, uh, before we go to this particular stage, we told ourselves that we need to prevent what you call the desert that is catching up with us because people were going to the forest to cut trees. And so we started this rural, rural electrification and all that, and many other projects to ensure that we hook, we hook all the, those in the, uh, in the rural areas want to be in the national grid. Mm. And we've been doing that to make sure that we protect the environment and all that. With this increment, it will push many people below the poverty line. When that happens, you are encouraging illegal connection. Students, children who have to learn in the rural areas, they will not have access to electricity because if you don't pay your bills, your light will certainly be cut off. So the price that those who are below the lifeline, your understanding or your, your assumption is that it will have no effect on them? No, the question is, you see, once you increase it, you see, it is like thinking. Mm-hmm. You see, there are something. You see, there are some commodities that uh, you know the poor will always have to need it to survive. And one of them is electricity. The electricity is not only for the rich; 
We have certain commodities that we want. You want to touch it. You need to be careful. We are talking here about water. We are talking here about uh, uh, shelter. And something like electricity. Mm -hmm. These things are basic necessities of life. Which ordinary people will need. Which the ordinary person will need to survive. So all ordinary things or all basic necessities of life must not be tasked like that. When you go, you are, you are talking about 15%. When you add it, what is it going to happen? It means that the people who cannot afford, you push them below the poverty line. And once you push them below the poverty line, they cannot afford that particular commodity. Once they cannot afford it, not only they themselves, but their children and their dependents will suffer for it. So when we met today, when we examine the issues carefully, we are telling the minister that look, the honorable minister that look, that is not the way to go. Mm. And we've given up to the 31st of January for him to correct what has happened and that that money, or that this particular 15%, we are not in support and we will not agree to it. And the, there is one particular thing we need to also put on the table here. And that is... At all material time, we have what we call social dialogue. If the minister feels strongly that we need to do get this thing, this particular thing done, should to the organized labor platform, bring all the documents and all the his arguments onto the table, and we will certainly look at it. But so, 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 Musa, you, you are saying that there was no consultation, if you like, or there was no, uh, you know, information nothing, ahead of this nothing, on your nothing, on your platform. Nothing. 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 Well, nothing. We just we we. I didn't know it was the let the letter was all over the place social media. Yeah, more like a new year message. Yes, and once we saw, we needed to react because, like I have said, electricity is a basic necessity of life. It's a basic commodity mm -hmm. which the ordinary man will need to survive. Not only not only the ordinary man, but together with his or her dependents. And when you put fifty percent VAT on it, you are telling to him. You are telling that particular person together with dependent that they should go below the poverty line. And that will create chaos and anarchy. Look, when you are dealing with the national security matters, mm -hmm. one of the key variables of national security issue is a human security. And so these are things that will help the human being to survive. And when you want to take that particular thing away, you are encouraging illegality. People doing illegal connections. Uh, people, uh, those who cannot afford, their children will have to be in the dark from in the in the night because they cannot pay. And how does uh, this and, and and how does this threaten the security of the individual? How does this even threaten national security, as you mentioned? My brother, when people are there, have you not heard that they, that the angry man is an angry man? Uh, I, I hope you have heard it before. Right. Good. So when people are there and they cannot meet their basic necessity for of life, it's a recipe for disaster. If you have, if you are in a country mm. and the people cannot afford water, cannot afford electricity, cannot afford accommodation, cannot afford food and uh, transport and all those things, you are in for trouble. Right. Before I let you go, let me ask a final question. And you have provided a, a deadline for government to reverse this decision. 31st of January, and then if 30, by 31st of January, the decision still stands that government still want to impose this on electricity, what will be your next line of action? I want to believe that government will not push that to that particular bridge. 
If that happens, believe you what, me. I believe that government will not push that to that particular temptation. Mm -hmm. But when we get there, we will certainly cross it. Fight, I guess. And, oh yeah, no, you. I think you can, you can, you can, you can do your own guess. But you are dealing with the organized labor here, and I believe that government and for that matter, the honourable minister will not lead us into that particular temptation, mm. because we are talking about next week here, and we believe that we want to see the letter as soon as possible. So that we can save our brothers and sisters from going to the, I mean, going below the poverty line, which will not be in the best interest of anybody. The assumption is that the country is in crisis, and all of this, uh, and all of us must help to contribute to bring it out of the hole that the country finds itself. Uh, the country finds itself the, because we are an, an, an IMF program. Key condition is that we should generate revenue, and this is one of the key, you know, avenues government is seeking to generate revenue. Isn't it fair that we all contribute a little? To bring ourselves out of the hole you are a parent and i am a parent if your salary is 100 ghana cities or even 200 ghana cities and you want your children and your wife to understand you you go to the table and tell them my family this is my problem believe you me your family will understand and they will even give you better ideas give you alternatives as to how together you people will come out of that particular challenge. Because your father's problem should be your problem. But if your father thinks that he can do it alone and he will not communicate to the wife and, or involve the children or not involve the children in the issue, whatever happens, the father should blame him or herself. You put yourself under unnecessary pressure and stress. What we are saying is that whatever mm -hmm. they have, they should come to the table. Right. They should put it on the table. All right. Thank you very much, Mr. Thomas Musa. He's a general secretary of the Ghana National Association of Teachers. God and bless you. Together with 34 uh, other labor unions, this afternoon they made a demand on government to withdraw the imposition of VAT on electricity uh, by the 31st of January, or they will take action against government. We don't know which action they intend to take, but clearly uh, they are not ruling out strike. Well, uh, this is the pause here on Joy News. We'll, I'm now going to take you live to the College of Physicians and Surgeons, where the president of South Africa Political Party Economic Freedom Fighters, uh, Julius Malema, is addressing uh, a gathering. Let's take a listen. I, the host MP, Dr. Zanetto Rollins. Please, on round for Dr. Zanetto Rollins. Right, so we'll, we'll, we'll soon bring you live feed from the uh, College of Physicians and Surgeons, where the uh, Julius Malema, who is the president of uh, South Africa-based political party Economic Freedom Fighters, is addressing uh, a public forum here in Accra, and he is talking about the youth and what the youth can do to ensure that they play active roles in politics, in national development, and in other areas of the economy. Uh, when we have stable feed, we'll take you live to the college to bring you uh, that forum. But before we do that, uh, we can do some other stories. And the Ghana Water Company is this afternoon blaming recent water shortage in parts of the Greater Accra and the central regions on choke pipes from the debris of the Akosombodam spillage and worn-out pipelines. Now, some parts of the capital and central regions have been battling with water supply for some days now. The situation has compelled many to, you know, spend more on other sources of water for their basic household use. My colleague Stanley Nibleu 
has been interacting with some residents in Accra and has come to with this report. Pipes in some parts of Accra have remained dry for weeks. Resident of Adenta, Wager, La, Dakuman, Odoko, Fadama, and Kaswa are among the hardest hit communities. A visit to Dakuman, Alafia, Monday showed residents trek several kilometers in search of water. Here, taps have been closed for weeks, compelling the people to explore alternative water sources to augment their water supply needs. Some say the distance they cover to source for water is affecting their health. It's been two weeks that we've been searching for water. It has not been easy for us. They must do something about the situation because carrying that every day is affecting our health. This well is polluted but stranded resident buy water from it and use. Businesses that depend on water for their activities have had to temporarily shut down their operations. We have resolved not to vote if our taps do not flow. If the shortage is induced by technical problem, they should let us know because residents at Fadama and Dakuman are really suffering. My sister, who is a hairdresser, is compelled to shut down her salon because she does not get water supply. The Ghana Water Company Limited has meanwhile assured its customers of water supply before the close of this week. The urban water management body explained that the water crisis occurred because the country's population has outgrown the capacity of water it can supply. Hence, it will need funding to set up a new system at Pong to boost water production. Well, there is response from the Ghana Water Company and Communications Manager for the outfit, Stanley Martin, speaking on AM show earlier this morning, said their plans have been shut down due to clear due to the debris that resulted of the consumer spillage and maintenance works they are undertaking to replace worn out pipes. What happened was that after the spillage from the Kosovo Dam, a lot of debris and uh, sludge and uh, aquatic weeds were washed from upstream to downstream, and our intake point is on is downstream the Kosovo Dam. And if you and the force to which our pumps abstract what abstract the water into the treatment plant um, abstracted a lot of um, these debris and sludge and water hyacinths and stuff into into the sump. So then the whole line was choked, and as a result, we were not able to abstract enough for for treatment. And these things cannot be removed um, um, set by doing it manually. So we needed to shut down. Uh, the pond treatment plant, and then we got our divers to go into the pipelines and to um, get all the debris um, uh, out. Everything we needed to wash so that at least we can um, um, produce our full capacity. So we gave ourselves two days to do that, and within the two days we were able to do it. Now we also are, uh, planned such that during the two days, some maintenance work that needed to be done on the plant. Will also be done. So we also change um, what, uh, a section of the weaker uh, portions of the transmission line from Bong mm. into into Tema, and then we also have to change some valves at our Dodua booster station and, and all that. So the entire eastern part of Accra was without water for that two days. 
But proud to that because we're unable to treat our full capacity um, because of we're not, well, we're not getting uh, very high volumes. Um, um, the system was not too, too good. So then when we managed, when we shut down, the system dried up entirely. And then we finished after two days only to face some minor challenges and entered into the third day. But then we restored uh, supply uh, at full capacity on Thursday. So within uh, some four or five days, the system on the eastern part has stabilized. And then immediately after we were done with that, then Wager went off again. Same point that we had a challenge with in, in November. And then we have to work on, on, on it. You know, because they are old and the pumps are not even in, uh, uh, the manufacturers are not even in existence any longer. Anytime um, uh, there's a fault, then we need to improvise or do what we can to put it back in. But we wouldn't even get the part. Well, it also indicates that water treatment plants of the company are operating at full capacity, therefore, an assurance of uninterrupted power supply, water supply, especially moving into the dry season. Hopefully we are operating full capacity in Bon, we are operating full capacity in Wager, and the desalination plant is not giving us enough, but at least it is good to serve that Tashin Nungwa um, uh, enclave. We are augmenting that with some water from um, our thermal booster station, and so we are hopeful that by this weekend the system should stabilize. The system should be fine from today or from tomorrow. But by the weekend, we should see that stability after a full rationing program. We are still right, we're, uh, running our rationing um, program. You're still rationing water. In yes. which areas are you rationing? Uh, it's the entire Accra. Uh, the whole of Accra. The whole of Accra. Some people may have more um, n- number of days than others by virtue of their proximity to maybe um, our, our main lines and, and, and all that. So some will get like five. I can now take you live to the College of Physicians and Surgeons where the president of South African Political Party Economic Freedom Fighters, Judas Malema, is addressing a public forum. Okay. So I don't know how to describe this. So whether it's Dumkra or Dumkakra Kakra. Small, small, talk, talk. I'd like to remind all of us that this program is streamed live on Wazor TV, UTV, Joy News, TV3, Metro TV, TVXYZ, GH1, Pan-African TV, Loud Silence TV, CTV, and other media networks across the country. So thank you to all of you who are streaming this program live on your platforms. All right, uh, very soon we shall be getting into the purpose of our gathering and really the essence of uh, this particular convocation. But we want to hear from a rep um, from Arise Ghana. Bernard Mona is the man who would be doing that. Please put your hands together for Bernard Mona.
It's very uncommon to speak on a presidential height this. I've been forced to read from a paper. And as I was coming here, you saw Ludwig insisting that I should read. Comrade, I will disappoint you. And so I will not read. But I'll give the script to you and to the media so you can take it because we want you to speak for the full time. First and foremost, on behalf of Arise Ghana, I want to welcome Comrade Malema and the EFF team from South Africa to Ghana. We are welcoming you to Ghana, not because you are a visitor, but because you have stayed away from home for a considerable period of time, and today you are here. <laughs> the youth of Ghana, just like the youth of South Africa, just like the youth of Nigeria, the youth of every other village we call a country in the continent of Africa are yearning to hear your voice and it is our duty to provide that platform, the reason for which Arise Ghana jointly and collaborated with EFF to get this one done. Let it be known that we share common history, our history of colonialism, where those who earlier came were looking for gold and they ended up trading in human beings and taking the human best out of our continent for the enrichment of their countries. Similarly, as we endured the difficulties of colonialism, apartheid was also suffered by the people of South Africa. And it is no secret that the difficulties that the people of Ghana faced under colonialism, you faced under apartheid. Today, we have seen that you have been talking about the apartheid system that is currently operating in South Africa. Don't forget that the apartheid system in South Africa is almost like the colonial system in Ghana, where we simply took away power from the white man, but handed over to another white man, but in black skin. We say this because if you go across the streets of Ghana, many young people who have acquired various skills are without jobs. Because every sector of our economy has been taken away by the white man in black skin and actually freely given to the white man in white skin. So we do not have any opportunities. Evidently, from the extractive sector to the manufacturing sector, Every sector of this economy has been mortgaged through corruption and through personal aggrandizement by those who are in power. As we speak today, Ghana, with all the wealth we have in gold, we do not own one gold mining company. And our shares in the mining company is less than 5%. Thereby, a chunk of the people of Ghana are unable to get jobs because they have simply sold our rights to foreigners. Similar things we are suffering in South Africa. I can see that GSA, SG is nodding. Evidently, we speak today, 
lithium that we recently discovered in enormous proportion and for commercial purposes is being auctioned to some mozungus somewhere to the disadvantage of the people of Ghana and the people of Africa. And we are told to clap because we are able to get 10% of that lithium in terms of royalties, not even in real ownership. And every day we are told that this is the best deal we have gotten since colonial era. The people of Africa cannot settle for less. Particularly so that you have been speaking that we have to have a borderless Africa. We in Ghana, we have very exciting stories to tell you. If you just go across Togo, where Dr. Zenato's um, other village is, it's evident that you see a Togoli whose bedroom is actually in Ghana and the kitchen is in Togo. That is the kind of houses we have. You will see somebody whose farm is in Ghana, but he resides in Togo. If you go across Burkina Faso, it's the same thing. If you go across to Cote d'Ivoire, it's the same thing. And we speak the same language, we eat the same food, we celebrate the same festivals and what have you. That should tell us that some white man somewhere, in some years back, sat in Berlin and took a pencil and just carved and said that this parcel belongs to France, this parcel belongs to Australians, this parcel belongs to Portuguese, this parcel belongs to the English, and then we accepted it. This you have been fighting. So on this African Dialogue series, we had no option than to invite the man who has been speaking eloquently and so passionately about the desires of young people to lead Africa to its proper perspective. So Arise Ghana is happy to welcome you to your home and to invite you to speak to the people of Ghana and the young people. Thank you so much. Apologies, that the bride will soon be outdoored. Uh, the communication was slightly, you know. Um, before we, we finally hear from Julius Malema, the choir is ready to uh, chart the atmosphere with a rendition. Choir, over to you. Please, let's be upstanding uh, as we stay in the company of the choir for this one. Arise, Ghana Youth for your country. The nation demands your devotion. After that, of course, Julius would have the floor. Malema.
Choboy. Cho 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 boy. With a great deal of respect, let me invite up here Mr. Ludwig to introduce us to our speaker. Round of applause, please. May you be seated. May you be seated. gentlemen we are really all involved we have to build our motherland we will build it and build Africa ladies and gentlemen but 14 years ago I was a youth leader of a political party here in Ghana I led a powerful delegation to South Africa at the invitation of a young man who was performing wonders in South Africa, we're all itching to identify with him. And so we got to South Africa and had a very wonderful moment with this young man. Years later, there was an issue in South Africa. You all remember the xenophobia issue. And everybody was quiet. And this gentleman decided to speak. Ghanaians were worried because our citizens were going through a lot of difficulties. We have to arrange for him to speak on a number of radio stations in Ghana. And I remember some of the interviewers asked when he will be in Ghana, and he said, that time will come. That time will come. And ladies and gentlemen, born on the 3rd of March, 1981. He's just a very small boy, you know. <laughs> 1981. At Sechego Limpopo, in the northmost, northmost province of the South African state, our special guest is a renowned South African politician who is admired by his passionate revolutionary style and dedication to creating a radical transformation within South Africa. Juju, as he is affectionately called, and known across the globe, began his political journey with the African National Congress Youth Pioneers at the age of nine. He assumes leadership role in the Congress of South African students during his high school days. We call it the um, ANC uh, Student Wing, which is called COSAS. He became the leader of COSAS in Limpopo. And uh, it's a, it's a pre-tertiary organization aligned with the African National Congress in, in, in South Africa. I mean, he grew up in Limpopo. He was elected the president of COSAS, national president of COSAS at a point, where he led the battle for free education and the fight against corporal punishment in South Africa. He also served as the provincial secretary of the Youth League in Limpopo, and later as the national president of the African National Congress Youth League in South Africa.
Juju's ideology differences with the ANC led to him parting ways with the party since 2012. On the 16th of August 2021, some workers of the mines in South Africa were massacred and killed by the South African police during a six-week strike. The incident which became known as the Marikana Massacre by Longnin and the South African police took a center stage across the world. His criticism about the killing of these mine workers opened a new chapter in the politics of South Africa with the birth of the Economic Freedom Fighters Party in 2013. Under his stewardships, ladies and gentlemen, the Economic Freedom Fighters gained significant support in the 2014 national election, emerging as the third largest political party in South Africa's parliament. In the year 2019 election, the EFF increased its representation in the National Assembly and Provisional Legislature. Ladies and gentlemen, our special guest is a member of parliament in the National Assembly of South Africa, serving on parliamentary committees, including the Joint Committee on Ethics and Member Interest, Joint Constitutional Review Committee, and the Ad Hoc Committee. He also sits on the Judicial Service Commission in South Africa, an institution responsible for overseeing the interviews and appointment of judicial judges in South Africa and ensuring accountability regarding judges' misconduct. You all remember when they were interviewing the judges, he told the one that, remember, I will be president of South Africa. So respect yourself. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, he has led the EFF for 10 years, advocating for the underprivileged and the unity of Africa in particular. His call for intracontinental trade, economic cooperation within Africa, and call for an African free from grips of corruption and imperialism has made him a notable figure in the liberation of Africa. Ladies and gentlemen, a lot of people see him as someone who always boom. But today, His Excellency, former President of the Republic, John Ajekun Kufour said he had a perception of him. But after meeting him today, he thinks that Julius is the type of young man Africa needs moving forward. And he gave him his blessings and support to join colleagues in Ghana and other parts of the world to sing the African song across the continent. Ladies and gentlemen, invited guests, join me as I welcome to the podium our special guest for this August event, the first time in the history of Ghana, the founder and leader of the EFF, our brother and comrade, the commander-in-chief, Comrade Julius Malema. Ladies and gentlemen, Juju. We can do it better. We can do it better for Juju. Thank you very much.
for those kind words of introduction by my brother, Ludwig. Um, Dr. Zineta, Rowling and your brother, J.J., and the entire family of President Rowling, and the leadership of Arise, and the leadership of the NDCA, CPP, the student representatives, and the national youth organizations that are here, and all those dignitaries that made this possible, want to take this opportunity to salute you and appreciate the effort you have taken in making sure that we dialogue amongst ourselves as Africans without supervision. That we require nobody to come and be a supervisor for us to meet. That we can call each other on our own and have a conversation. And where we don't find one another, we agree to disagree, go different directions, to meet again tomorrow because we believe in the power of persuasion. This morning I had an opportunity to meet President Mahama and President Kofu, and we also visited a very important leader of our revolution because we believe in both the living and the dead. So when you visit former presidents that are alive, you have a duty to also visit those that were revolutionary and they've passed on, like President Kwame Nkrumah. So we are here today to really salute the good work he has done. Maybe some historical background is also important before we get into issues. Because we believe that we did not start the revolution. We inherited the revolution and therefore it's important to always remind ourselves of where we come from. Prior to European arrival, Ghana was home to powerful empires like the mighty Ashante, renowned for their gold trade and military prowess. These societies had complex social structures, sophisticated cultural traditions, and well-developed trade networks. An early victim of European interests, the European presence in Ghana began with the Portuguese explorers who arrived in the 15th century and from then till the 19th century, Ghana, then known, then known as the Gold Coast, became a major source of enslaved people for the transatlantic trade. European powers established ports and trading ports along the coast exchanging manufactured goods for enslaved Africans captured primarily from the interior regions. The forced removal of millions of people at a profound demographic and social impact on Ghana. It weakened communities, fueled interstate conflict, and led to cultural loss. The transatlantic slave trade left a deep 
an enduring mark on Ghana's collective memory. While acknowledging the trauma inflicted, it's important, it's important to recognize the resilience and resistance displayed by many communities and individuals during this period. However, it was the Dutch, British, and later the French who played more significant roles in the colonization of the Gold Coast, what is now called Ghana. The British gradually expanded their influence and control through trade and the establishment of ports along the coastline. By the mid-19th century, the Gold Coast became a British colony. The scramble for Africa saw Britain and other European countries aggressively caving up the continent. The Gold Coast fell under British control, marking the start of formal colonial rule as a result of the Berlin Conference of 1884 to 1885. The imposition of colonial rule led to significant social changes. Traditional social structures were often disrupted and a new system were introduced to serve the interests of the colonizers. Furthermore, missionary activities played a role in introducing Western education and administration. Christianity and a class of educated Africans who often aligned with the colonial rulers while the majority remained marginalized. There are those who, want to, who wanted to assimilate with the British policies, undermining their own traditional languages, customs, and belief systems, contributing to a loss of cultural activity. The Gold Coast economy also became solely reliant on exporting raw materials, hindering internal development. The formation of political organizations such as the Convention People's Party, CPP, marked the beginning of organized political movement seeking self-determination. Ideas of Pan-Africanism, emphasizing continental unity and liberation from colonialism, fueled the independent movements all over the continent. Intellectuals like Kwame Nkrumah emerged as powerful voices advocating for self-determination. The CPP, founded in 1949 by Kwame Nkrumah, mobilized mass protests and strikes, forcing the British to acknowledge the desire for independence. Initially, resistant to independence, the British eventually considered due to internal pressure and rising international dissent. Their primary concern was maintaining economic interest and ensuring a smooth transition. Traditional authorities and ordinary Ghanaians, from farmers and miners to students and intellectuals, contributed to the struggle through protests by court and their unwavering support for their independence. The whole continent started learning from Ghana that it is possible. So when you go to Ghana, it is not because you are going to teach Ghanaians anything, because they've seen it all, including leading the first determination of an African state on the 6th of March, 1957. So Ghana, it's a home of democracy. And this country was led by Kwame Nkrumah, a charismatic leader who emphasized Pan-Africanism because he understood that Ghana's independent, independence alone is meaningless. Following the independence of Ghana, 
all liberation movements found a home here. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. In Ghana, the organization of South Africa, such as the ANC, the organization of Angola, such as MPLA, the organization of Mozambique, such as Frelimo, and many other liberation movements found this place as a liberated zone. And many of them started knowing what a passport looks like from here, because Nkwame Kuruma make it a point that they are able to travel all over the world to spread the message of Pan-Africanism and independence of Africa. (laughs) Nkuruma did not only develop connections amongst African state and liberation movements, Nkuruma developed connections with African-American artists, writers, and all kinds of people who were found in diaspora. That's why a lot of African Americans found resonance and found Ghana to be a place they can identify with as their home. So Nkuruma's idea has always been that black people who are found everywhere must always be in solidarity with each other because they are the most hated people all over the world. It doesn't matter where you find them. If you find a black person in China, give them love because you must know they are hated. If you find a black person in the U.S. or even in Russia, you must embrace one another irrespective of the countries you come from because you are both hated. It doesn't matter how rich you are. It doesn't matter how educated you are. As long as you are an African, they treat you like a reject. That's why the unity of Africans and Pan-Africanism does not only mean those who are found in Africa. It means everybody else that looks African who's found everywhere in the corner of the world because those are the people who have been robbed of their humankind. We also know that this country is the one that leads with successful succession which are peaceful Of course, it experienced a bit of difficulty at some point. But since then, Ghana became the most celebrated democracy. But the democracy of Ghana is threatened by corruption. A corruption that made sure that Ghana does not pay its international debt. As a result, today, Ghana is unable to 
determine because everything else is dictated to Ghana by IMF and the World Bank because the current leadership failed to honor their obligation. Corruption is a threat to a wonderful democracy anyway because it's eating on the moral fiber of democratic dispensation. We must never ever celebrate anyone who is corrupt or seek to defend the corrupt individuals irrespective of our political affiliation. Those who are stealing from the public purse now, they are stealing for, from the future. That's why they are unable to pay their debt now and they will not be able to pay the debt in future and it is you, the youth of Africa, that are going to inherit the debt and you will not be able to develop your own countries. There is a tendency in the African continent of the youth defending the old corrupt because they give them the little money now and they forget the future. If you value yourself, if you value the future of this continent, you must stand tall and unashamedly fight corruption everywhere where it raises its ugly head. Don't care who says what. You must always speak truth to power. It doesn't matter who gets offended. The truth remains the truth, whether you are standing, whether you are sitting, whether you are sleeping, the truth will never change. And one thing you must know is that when you tell the truth to the powers that be, they may pretend now that they do not hear what you are saying. But when they are sleeping alone, their conscience speaks to them and they must answer the question, is he or, the t or, is he or she telling the truth? And if the answer is yes, you have achieved your mission. They will never know they are corrupt until someone tells them on their faces that you are for yourself, you are for your family, you are for friends, you are for the politically connected, and you are not for our continent because our continent is about the unity of African people that is based on economic ownership of the means of production. I want to say this today here, that xenophobic people are people who suffer from self-hate. Because when you love yourself, you will never hate another person. A black person who looks like you should serve as a mirror to you. When you look at that black person, you must see yourself. And therefore, you cannot say the people from Ivory Coast are not needed here in Ghana. They are taking our jobs and our opportunities because there is no Ivory Coast, there is no Ghana. There is no Nigeria, there is no South Africa, there is no Liberia, there is no Botswana, there is Africa. Because we never determined these artificial borders. Some people want to sit somewhere and decided to divide us. And they did that with a pen and took away our brains. Because there is no wall. In other places there is no fence Yet we see the wall and the fence that doesn't exist. We are unable to break this imaginary 
artificial, artificial borders because our boss told us that we are divided. We are being treated like mad people where you've got a gate without a fence. All of you, when you want to exit to Ivory Coast, you go to a border, and that border is a gate. But when you check on the side of the gate, there is no fence. Our people are living together. So Africa must stop behaving like a drunken master who goes through a gate in a yard that doesn't have a fence. It will never have a fence because we are one thing. We marry into each other's communities and families. We go to each other's activities. We share cultures. And I know for sure that the people of Ghana dance to Amapiano. So why would they think that they are not South Africans and why South Africans will think that they are not Ghanaians? It's only an imagination that was instilled in our heads by our colonial masters. We have to make sure that as a new generation, we do away with this. We, as a younger generation of Africa, we must not seek to get rid of the old in a disparate manner to a point where we destroy institutional memory. We must always make sure that the old coexist with the young, but the old must be prepared to pass the wisdom to the young ones, for because at some point the old must die for the new to emerge. And it's not me calling for the killing of the elderly African leadership. Nature dictates that the old at some point must die for the new to emerge. But this new must be prepared to learn from the old. I was in Liberia yesterday and I saw the inauguration of an old president. I got so worried. But when I saw the vice president, I left Nigeria, Liberia in a very comfortable way because I saw a generational mix where the old and the young coexist in one office. And I hope the vice president will not be suffocated because the president must know that with all his experience and advanced age, he has a duty to pass the baton to the younger generation. We call on all African leaders not to leave an office with a coffin. When the time comes for them to go, they must leave without calling the army to extend their term. No one is born a leader. No one is a traditional leader in a political office. If you want to be a traditional leader, go and fight in your tribe for those type of issues. We don't subscribe to people who want to leave a political office with a coffin. We will still give you a state funeral because you are a former president. We'll still pay you pensions and give you protection and take care of you as long as you respect those who came after you. You have to ensure that democracy matures in such a manner in Africa where the previous president does not make it his business to fight the current president. You must allow the new to lead with all their faults because you are the same.
It doesn't mean you are perfect. The young ones who are coming after you will challenge the current one. No African leader who is on retirement should lead from the grave. They must all be like all other progressive former presidents who are statesmen at home waiting for courtesy visits and consultation and attending to honor state functions. Those are the duties of former presidents because Africa must be stable. Africa must go through democracy at all times. And elections in Africa should never mean the blood on the floor. We Africans must hate seeing our own blood. We must always protect each other because we love ourselves so much that we don't want to see our own blood. I always tell them that white people do not want to see their own blood. That's why it's not easy for a white person to kill another white person. If a well-built white man comes in here and beat you up and you are thin like me, don't try to fight fiscal because you're going to be defeated. They are scared of their blood. Look for an object and threaten to throw that object on a white man. He's going to leave this hall running. Not because he's scared of the object, but he knows that he can be injured by the object and he will see his own blood. Africans don't have a problem with seeing their own blood. We kill each other at the slightest provocation. We don't negotiate power. We force our way into power. And in most cases, we are not even our, the initiators of this violence. It is white people who sponsor the black-on-black -black violence because of the absence of black consciousness, we find it easy to kill one another. The killings must stop in Africa. In Africa, guns must be replaced by hugs when we see each other, even when we disagree vehemently, we must agree to disagree in a brotherly and sisterly way because we value each other's blood. Ghanaians, we must make sure that we refuse the suppression of media freedom because without media freedom, we are nothing. If there is anyone who can tell the world of any wrongdoing in Ghana and in South Africa and everywhere else, is the fourth estate. It must be protected. It doesn't matter how bad they write about you you must protect their right to write. Because without that pen, you must know there is an ushering in of a dictatorship. If media is suppressed, if media can't write about corruption, if media takes bribes from governments, you must know those are the dark days of the African continent. Today, we've got our own platforms on the social media. Let us help the traditional media to expose the corrupt leadership, to expose the mining companies that milk Africa without leaving anything in Africa. The gold of God.
must remain in Ghana and service the people of Ghana. The minerals of Ghana, the minerals of South Africa must service Africa. The EFF believes in one Africa where we've got one president. I know Kwame Nkrumah was accused of wanting to be a president of Africa. There was nothing wrong with that. The man qualified because he woke us up from the dead. We are continuing with Kwame Nkrumah's call. Even if we don't achieve it in our lifetime, we must create a solid foundation for one Africa because one Africa is a threat to Europe and America. Africa with one president, Africa with one currency, Africa with one military command, Africa with one parliament. It's a threat that America cannot stand. Imagine a currency of Africa against the currency of USA. Ours will be based on the natural and mineral resources of our continent. And what will the currency of France be based on? Because France can't even produce anything for its survival. The whole soccer team of France is Africa. That's why when that's why when France plays with Britain, we all unwittingly support France because we see the blackness of the team. That's how much important we are as Africa to this Europe, um, America, and all those who support neocolonialism. Fellow Ghanaians, anyone who says the people of Palestine must be killed is an enemy of ours. The people of Palestine have not committed any sin to anyone. These organizations that got passports here in Ghana during colonial times and during apartheid times, they were called terrorist organizations. But to us, they were never terrorist organizations. They were revolutionary organizations that seek the liberation of our own countries. We cannot listen to the same propaganda that was used against us during the years of liberation. Kwame Nkrumah was called a terrorist. Nelson Mandela is still on the list of terrorists in USA because they fought for the self-determination of Africans. That's exactly what Hamas is demanding. That let the people of Palestine reclaim their own land. Let the people of Palestine have the self-determination without anyone imposing anything to the people of Palestine. If the people of Palestine want two-state solution, let them say so. No one must meet in UN or everywhere else and say there's going to be a two-state solution in Palestine. It must be the Palestinians themselves, like the South Africans decided that we are going to coexist with the settlers. We will not send them to the sea. It was not a decision of the UN. It was a conscious decision by South Africans. Why are the Palestinians not allowed to make the same self-determination? Shame on the leadership of Ghana for saying they support 
what is happening against the people of Gaza. They must be ashamed of themselves because any African who knows what settlers do when they settle in your country will never support that nonsense that is happening in Palestine. Ghanaians, we are not saying we are fighting the Jews. We are not saying women, Jewish women must be killed, Jewish children must be killed. Our struggle is against apartheid Israel, and we make no apology about that, and we want the apartheid of Israel collapsed with the immediate effect. We salute the government of South Africa for having listened to the EFF when we said that the Israeli ambassador and embassy must be removed from South Africa. Parliament of South Africa, through a motion placed by the EFF, took a resolution that Israeli embassy must leave South Africa because we cannot share the territory with bloody thirsty individuals who have declared war on humanity. What is happening in Palestine is genocide. It has got no any other name. You can't bomb a hospital. Even if the leader of Hamas is in that hospital, as long as he enters a hospital, you must cease fire and wait and work on an alternative solution to get him out of a hospital. You cannot bomb a refugee camp because there are international laws that governs how you treat refugee camps. Even when you don't agree with Hamas or any other thing of that nature. But please protect humanity. We need all those who want to give humanitarian support to be given a passage to enter Gaza, to send water, to send food, to send medical equipment and medicine in Gaza. Israel is refusing a passage for humanitarian intervention in Gaza. And every individual who is self-respecting, especially ourselves as Africans, can never agree with a country that can refuse people water because water is life. Ghanaians, the unity of this continent starts from here because the determination, the self-determination of Africa started from here. When you got your first independence, we knew that day that one day South Africa will be free. And when Frelimo won in Mozambique, we celebrated in South Africa as if that, is, that was our freedom. But we knew that the freedom of the people of Mozambique means the freedom of South Africa. Because that's how we are connected. We celebrate each other's achievement. It started here in Ghana. It ended in South Africa. The unity of Africa must start here in Ghana and will capture it in South Africa because we always followed the leadership of the Ghanaian people. The economic freedom, 
The economic freedom of Africa will start in South Africa. We want our land. We make no apology when we say we want our land. Our land was stolen, and we want it back without paying a cent. And no one must pay for a cent everywhere in Africa when they demand the expropriation of land without compensation. These people came and stole your car. And later on you discover your car. They say, it's true, it's your car. But pay us before you get this car back. And when you ask them why, you're saying, I must pay. They say, we've put make wheels, we've improved the car. Therefore, you must pay us. Irrespective of them being in possession of stolen property. Anyone in possession of stolen property is a criminal. And therefore, anyone in possession of our land without our permission is a land thief, is a criminal, and must be identified as such. When I say to you, demand the land, and we'll lead that struggle from South Africa, I know land brings about everything. For you to have a hair saloon, you need land. For you to have a small shop of IT, you need land. The beautiful beaches belongs to the land. The mineral resources, the gold, iron ore, copper, and all types of mineral resources belong to the land. That's why when they came to Africa, they did not steal our women or our men. They stole the land. They knew women and men will come with the land. That's why we need to start from where they started when they offended us. We need to take the land. Because once we take the land, they will start respecting us. You will never be respected if you don't own property. It doesn't matter if all of us in South Africa own property. As long as the people of Namibia, as long as the people of Ghana do not own the land, then our land ownership is meaningless because when you go to the USA, they don't see South African. They see an African. West, they can't differentiate between South Africa and Ghana. That's why all of us must reclaim the land and the mineral resources of the land and the natural resources of the land so that when we move all over the world, when they see a black person, they should know these are the property owners of their own continent and their own land. So when we fight for economic freedom, we should do so without being ashamed. Because political freedom that Kwame Nkrumah achieved and generations after him achieved is meaningless without economic freedom. You can vote until you are purple. As long as there is no bread on the table, that vote is meaningless. You must vote when you arrive at home. You must find bread. You must find free education. You must find quality public health. You must find reliable electricity and not what we experienced earlier on. 
we must make sure that we own everything that belongs to us. So Africans, I don't care how many we are, we must believe in ourselves. At least be an individually liberated African who is not scared of colonizers, who is not scared of white people, who doesn't worship the establishment, who calls a spade a spade. That is the only way Africa will be respected. This continent is one. They might think they divided it. I can guarantee you now, like we saw when Ghana got liberated in South Africa, we said one day it will happen. It came many years after, but eventually it came. The unity of this continent is going to come. And when we call on each other to come into each other's countries, we must embrace that with ease. Me being here in Ghana, I don't feel like I'm in a different country. Because in this world, there is nothing different I'm not used to in South Africa. When I look at left or right, I see my brothers and sisters. When I walk outside and drive all over, I see the poverty of Africa that I see at home. So why would I claim I'm in a different home? Because conditions are the same. So when I'm here, I'm at home. When you are in South Africa, feel at home. South Africans are not xenophobic. South Africans are peace-loving people. And I extend my invitation to all of you to come and study in South Africa, to come and work in South Africa, to come and take your holidays in South Africa because it is your home too. The same way you welcomed us here, we'll welcome you in South Africa. Thank you very much. we are all waiting to ask a few questions yeah um, so I'd like to start with the young people in the house so Paco see if you can send the microphone around so that so question specific to what he said and uh, we shouldn't go beyond the periphery of what he said so we have to be very confined. Four people. I see a hand here. I see a hand over there. So let's start with this man. Good afternoon to you all. Uh, my name is Mr. G. Uh, I started monitoring uh, Julius Malema from about almost seven years now. Uh, I asked myself one time that does our presidents, all presidents all over the Africa, 
are listening to this man and why still are we uh, uh, why are they not uh, following uh, his speeches or why are they not implementing what he is coming out with and in fact as he is in Ghana today I'm very happy to see him here and I want or we want all our Africans to emulate whatever he is saying to end well, Thank you very Africa. much sir, with honor, thank you um, There was a hand over there, the guy in blue Yes, and then two, one will come from here, one will come from here. Brief, brief. Thank you very much. I've always dreamed to get the please, opportunity. Let's go straight to the questions, please. I am about to ask the question. So ask. Yeah, thank you very much. My question is, in South Africa, I've been monitoring Honorable Julius Balema for about 10 years now. <laughs> I have about 500 of his videos on my phone here. Wow. I post his videos on various days. My friends actually call me Julius Malema. My question is there is this guy in South Africa called Inalalax who is spearheading an operation called Operation Dudula. I want to ask. My president in waiting. That how is he going to push this guy out from South Africa to make sure that the blacks in South Africa enjoy as the way they will enjoy in their country? Thank you very much. Junior Malema, round of applause. <laughs> yes, you. How was he? Yes, sir. I saw this hand first, the one standing over here. Sorry. And then the chief at the back. Thank, thank you very much. My name is, my name is John Achukakito, a constituency executive of Lejekugu, but hails from North Tong. What I want to find out for Comrade Julius is that there's a problem in Africa. I won't mention, I won't illustrate my position with a political party, but I'm going to illustrate it A and B. <laughs> I thank Honorable Okuja too. He just looked at me because I said I come from North Tongue. <laughs> There's a problem in Africa, A and B. If you are in A and there's a wrong going on in A, in your submission, you talk about, you call names, thieves, criminals. In, in Ghana, Africa, if there's a corruption going on in A, you can come out and say it. When you say it, you are the black sheep of the family. So I want to find out, are we really, do we really want to build Africa? Do we, the hypocrisy and the pretense is one too many. I thank God that my MP is here. He's a very vocal person. Let us speak truth to power. That is the only way Africa will come out from the deteriorating and the disgrace we go through. Thank I won't you. talk much. Thank you very much. Thank Aluta! You. The last one. Aluta! The man at the back in green. I saw him first, respectfully. Respectfully. 
Yes, sir. Thank you very much. I am Isaac Ofwegedimatu from Tema, Nkrumah's Tema. Uh, you know, I have a similar platform. So we, we greet by this way, Nkrumah, Gave, and Rastafari Makonem. So when I say Nkrumah, I you repeat after me. When I say Gave, I repeat after me. Um, sir, Hello. for want of time. Ask yes, your question. It's all about Pan-Africanism. We know. Chroma, uh, all... we know. Okay, Respectfully. Okay. Thank you very much, Mr. Malema. Thanks for coming here. We will monitor you for South Africa. Thank you very much. Well, we are all here. I appreciate you. <laughs> there's... Um, there's... Papazi. <laughs> yes. Yes. Thank you very much. Mr. Please, let's be silent, respectfully. Thank you. Thank you very much, Honorable. Yes, and then I again thank the organizers of this event. Um, my name is, let me mention, okay, I'm Engineer Dr. Bright Sugbe of African Development Council. My concern here is that the continent has been seen as the, the, I mean, the producers of raw materials, and they wanted to remain same without any change. Um, one individual groups, many, many groups arise on the continent seeking the same song. Honorable Malema, is there a way we can get all these groups together singing the same songs at higher pitch and tone in order to I mean, achieve our results? Well, thank you very much. That will be all for the questions. Um, if our Honorable Malema, please, calm, calm, calm. Let's proceed. Let's proceed. Let's proceed. Okay, let him answer. Thereafter, if there's time, we'll take a few more questions. So, Comrade, Comrade Malema, if you may respond to... Yes, you can just stand here and respond to them. Please, let's be calm. Let's be calm. Choboy. 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 Thank you. So, thank you very much. Um, I think most of the points were just complimentary more than anything. Ntlantalax is not a definition of South Africa. He wanted to use xenophobia for his rise to fame. Even uh, uh, Tudula movement did not belong to him. He went to hijack it for his own selfish interest. And we have reduced him to an insignificant molecule. And therefore, no one can rise in Africa on the ticket of xenophobia. That is the beginning and the end of your political career. So anyone who says such politics is not worth entertaining because they are short-lived politics and they will never be sustained because politics are based on history on Have you watching this dialogue? Uh, the speaker was the
president of the Economic Freedom Fighters, a political party based in South Africa, Julius Malema. He is in Ghana at the moment, and he's been talking about the, uh, the African unity, the need for Africa to come together, the need for Africa to be one, to chart a common economic development. You've been listening to him. You've been watching him as well, enjoying us. This is the pause. We're taking a short break. When we return, we'll deal with the rest of the issues.